Welcome to the podcast of Apostolic Lighthouse Tabernacle. You can find out more about our church at lighthouseofmaslin.com or join us for worship Sundays at 11. We pray this message will be a blessing to you. the Lord together for a few moments Jesus we love you Jesus we love you hallelujah 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 oh we worship you we worship you we worship you we worship you hallelujah Jesus hallelujah Jesus hallelujah Jesus I don't know about you, but I am always excited to come into the house of the Lord to worship together. Why don't we just lift our voice to him one more time? Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we worship you. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. reading from the book of James chapter 5 and verse 16 last week when I talked to Bishop about Brother Azzalini coming to preach uh, after he said that he thought Benny woke up thinking Benny should come he asked if I had something to preach I said well I do but I don't think it's quite done cooking yet preachers to get it sometimes I think of my brain like a crock pot and it's got to stay in there a little while to cook <laughs> and uh, I'm not sure if it's ready still or if I'm even ready but I feel like I'm supposed to preach it today James chapter 5 and verse 16 confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's a, such a powerful statement. The effectual fervent prayer or the passionate prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Just an ordinary man. Just an ordinary man. A man subject to like passions as we are. Just ordinary. He wasn't an angelic being. He wasn't some superhuman just an ordinary man who had the same problems, same faults, same failures, same temptations as you and I, and he prayed. And because he prayed, the Lord made it not so it wouldn't rain on the whole face of the earth for three and a half years. One more passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend 
that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. So I'm not acting like I've already achieved it or that I was already perfect. But I'm trying to grab hold of what's grabbed hold of me. Verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. There comes a moment when you've got to stop thinking about all the failures and mistakes of the past and start reaching towards the future. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you this morning for just a few minutes on the subject, a revival of prayer. Will you lift your hands and your voices with me one more time? Jesus, we love you. And Lord, we worship you today. Lord, I ask that your presence would begin to sweep this house. Open our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. My life uh, of late has become so busy. I have necessity had to become more organized. It was not out of desire. It was out of simple survival. And to be frank, I've done so. I keep a daily to-do list, and I keep it updated. I type in it uh, excessively. I'm always adjusting, moving things from one day to the next. I cleaned and organized my calendar. I blocked out time for important things. I've read... Books about the subject, I've tried to apply the techniques to my life. I've radically cut down the time I spend on social media. Joey's enjoying his new present very much. <laughs> we might not need to supply batteries next time. <laughs> I radically cut the amount of time I spend on social media. And all those things, I'll be honest, have had a great benefit in my ability to keep on Keep up with all that has been going on. Organizing, changing, adjusting. And even though I still have a long ways to go, I am leaps and bounds ahead of where I was. I, I tend to be a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants type person. And I, until recently, I, I've been able just to keep everything pretty organized in my mind. But as the task increase and my age increases and a number of people that are working and doing the things of God have increased, I've had to adjust my priorities and get more organized than I was before. However, to my dismay, I found out that my getting organized did not necessarily make everyone around me get organized. And me managing my time and my schedule didn't make everyone around me do the same with theirs. And so I realized I was hitting a limitation on what I was able to do until those around me made some adjustments. Get ready for a business meeting Tuesday, guys. I found out that my organization didn't automatically change everybody around me. This was a rude awakening. <coughs> Caitlin, <laughs> sorry, I, uh, 
allergies. I was in dismay about it. I thought, what am I going to do? I've got lists. Nobody else is working lists. I've got my day scheduled. No one else, everybody else keeps throwing their stuff at me. And I realized there was only so much I could do that was going to affect when your life is working with other people. But you know, there is something that you can do that changes the atmosphere around you. There's something that you have the ability to do that creates change in others. And I'm not talking about organization now. But there's something that you can do that can change a worship service for everyone in it. There's something that I can do that changes my family. There's something I can do that begins to change things in my neighbor's house. There's something that I can do that begins to change things in my neighborhood and in my town and in my church. There's something that I can do that can move things on a foreign mission field that I'm not able to reach. And it's something so simple, so ordinary, something so easily at hand that at best we count it as the mundane and at worst we can forget about it completely. But it's here. In this activity available to everyone from the very youngest to the most elderly that for the last month the Lord has been showing me over and over and over again is most needed for revival. And that, my friends, is something simply called prayer. I don't feel ready to preach this. And so I chose Philippians 3 as my text because I want to be very clear. I'm not speaking to some, today as someone who has obtained, but I'm speaking as someone who is actively reaching. I'm not where I want to be, and I'm not where I even need to be, but I'm reaching and I'm pressing because there is a need right now for a revival of prayer. You see... Prayer being viewed as commonplace isn't something new. It isn't something that only modern people have been faced with, contrary to popular belief. Although I will say our attention spans have grown drastically worse. I don't even bother going to the store right now. I just buy it on Amazon. And I'm telling you, one time I bought something on Amazon, and like three hours later I heard a knock on my door, and it was what I ordered. And my attention span has become so small now that when the two days that are, it's only supposed to take to get something from Amazon have passed and I get something in the mail, sometimes I forget what I ordered two days ago. Our attention spans have changed, but viewing prayer as something commonplace isn't something new. Not when I look at the Bible and I see some of the 12 falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. You realize when we talk about the 12, who we're talking about. God's hand chosen 12 men out of all the world, out of all who ever lived. He only chose 12. Picked them personally, trained them for three and a half years. They spent every day together, morning and night. They ate together, slept in the same boat or on the same patch of ground. Watched as Jesus taught, 
ate miracle fish and bread, cast out demons, made blind eyes see, raised the dead over and over and over and over again. They saw it all. There were only 12 of them, and even the 12 sometimes forgot about the importance of prayer. And then if you look at the 12 as elite a group as that is, there were three that made up the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. They were Jesus' closest confidants. And they were invited multiple times to go further than the rest of them got to go. And so Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, tells the 12, well, 11 now, Judas has taken his task, tells 11 of them that it's time to go and pray. They enter into the edge of the garden of Gethsemane and he leaves eight of them there at the entrance and tells them to pray. And then he takes the three, Peter, James, and John, up further and he asks them to pray with him and says, my hour is at hand, pray with me. And Jesus goes just a stone's throw away into the olive trees and begins to pray. And it's here in Gethsemane that Jesus feels the guilt and the sin of all of humanity. Here he's so overcome with the burden as he prays that his blood vessels and his capillaries rupture. And his sweat glands and his tear ducts begin to excrete his very blood in a condition doctors call hematridosis. Begins to sweat and cry out his very blood. It's under the weight of this burden that Jesus finally able to get himself together enough, goes to check on Peter, James, and John, and he finds them sleeping. And he kicks them, nudges them with his foot and says, can't you pray just one hour? Pray with me just for an hour. Pray with me. Now, do you realize they look up and they see Jesus drenched in his own sweat and his own blood? And he goes to pray again and they fall right back to sleep. For a very long time I wondered how could this be? How could you sleep through one of the most important events in history? And then I came across this verse in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. This is the New International Version. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. You see, in the King James, it says, as he was wont to. And so sometimes it just doesn't process in our modern English minds. And I was listening to the Bible in the NIV, and when I heard that, as Jesus went out as usual, all of those verses about the Mount of Olives clicked into my mind. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. It was something usual for them. It was something ordinary for them. To them, it was just another prayer meeting. Just more of the ordinary. But it was that prayer meeting that decided the fate of you and I. 
It was in that prayer meeting Jesus gave Peter the opportunity not to deny him. And yet the ordinariness of it all caused them to fall asleep. And one of the most important moments in all the history of humanity. Ordinariness isn't even limited to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we find the Syrian general Naaman, a fearsome warrior, was a leper. But in his house was a little captive Israelite girl. He must have been a good man that this Israelite captive was concerned about him. And she said, if my master would just go to Israel, there she could find the prophet Elisha, and I know he could heal you. And in Naaman's desperation, he goes to see the prophet Elisha. But Elisha won't even come out to see the general. He just sends word with a servant. Go dip seven times in the Jordan River, and you'll be cleansed. You'll be healed. You think, boy, that is so easy. That's great. All I got to do is go to a river and dunk myself seven times in this leprosy. This death sentence is going to go away. I can rejoin my friends and my family. Everything is going to be all right. All I've got to do is go to the river and dip. Sorry, all the allergy medicine dries out my throat. But Naaman isn't happy, he's furious. Not only did Elisha not bother to come out and see him, he was told to wash in a muddy river. It wasn't a sparkling clean one like the Syrian rivers. It was a muddy river. Must be like Ohio. I've never seen a clear river in Ohio. I digress. (laughs) And so Naaman, in his fury, cracks the whip, spurs his horses on, and heads back to Syria. But there in the chariot is a wise servant who discerns the situation. And so as dust flies behind them, and the horses are pointing straight back to Syria, he says, you know, Master, you're brave. You know, Master, you are a mighty warrior. And if Elisha had asked you, To do something great, you would have done it without question. Basically, what he relays to the general is this. If he'd asked you to fight an army, kill a strange beast, climb a high mountain, do something bold and daring, you would have done it because I know how brave and how strong you are. But all he asked, All he asked you to do was go wash in the Jordan and you'll be healed. Why not do it? And the general had his eyes opened by this wise servant. I feel like that's what I'm here to do this morning. I know the hearts of the people of this church. I know your passion and your desire for the things of God. 
But I've come to remind you, God has asked us to do something very simple. To see past the ordinary into what God wanted to use. The Lord spoke through a humble servant to a great general. You know, church, here we are in one of the most important times in human history. And like the apostles, we are sleeping through it. We've numbed ourselves with entertainment in the busyness of life. And I wonder what future generations will think of us. And I wonder if they'll ask the same question of us as I asked of the apostles. How did they sleep through that? How did they not realize what was happening right around them? Cities being burnt, freedom stripped away, churches attacked. Right now, one of our own churches is facing a protest because they had the audacity to call a woman a she. Freedom stripped away, churches attacked, insane and twisted thinking being promoted as normal. Things prophecy teachers have talked about for the last hundred years, all happening right around us, and yet we sleep on. But the Spirit beckons, pray. Paul wrote to the church in Rome and said that knowing the time, that it's now high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Let me tell you, if it was closer to the rapture 2,000 years ago than it was a few years before that, it's a whole lot closer now in 2021. It's time for us to stir ourselves and realize what time it is. It's time for us to wake up. Church, like Naaman, God has not asked us to do something great. He did not ask us to stage protest. He did not ask us to fight against government tyranny. He did not ask us to somehow become our own media powerhouse to drown out the fake news of this world. He did not ask us to run for political office. He did not ask us to take up physical arms. And he did not ask us to fight some great physical battle or climb some high mountain or to defeat some powerful human enemy. He didn't ask us to do any of those things. And honestly, I think those things would have been easier for us to do and to understand. To look at a person and say, that's the enemy attack. But he did not ask us to do any of those things. Instead, he simply asked us, to do something so easy, something so simple, something not limited to those of a certain age or special training. He asked us to pray. Something so commonplace that we forget about its power. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So as we walk in this human bodies, we don't war with these human bodies. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not human weapons. They're not fleshly weapons, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. Pulling down a stronghold means that means where an enemy has built an encampment. Do you know in our modern warfare how we fight against that? Used to be that they would throw up grappling hooks and try to pull them down or build ramparts and try to go over them. But in our modern warfare... We just bombard it. In the Second World War, they built giant guns and launched, they launched shell after shell after shell. Just pummeled it over and over and over and over and over again. Now we get drones and we get stealth bombers and we fly over and they drop bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb after bomb. And it doesn't matter how deep the enemy has dug his hole. It doesn't matter how strong a fortress they may have built. It is that constant bombardment defeats them. But that's not how you and I pray. You know how you and I pray? You and I pray once and then we leave it. And then a month goes by and we pray again and we leave it. But this scripture says the weapons of our warfare, though they are not carnal, they are mighty to the pulling down of a stronghold. And I don't care if it's 2,000 years ago warfare or 2021 warfare. The only way that you get a stronghold to come down is by a constant attack. And I want you to understand this morning, it's time for us to transition from every once in a while launching a prayer out there to a bombardment of the enemy's encampment. I'll just be real honest with you. Sometimes when I'm praying, in my mind, I'm seeing my prayers launch out. Oh, it may only be chipping away. But those little chips, all of a sudden they begin to move. I don't know if any of you have ever torn down a structure, but I have. I had the unfortunate task of leading all you guys and tearing the rocks off that building. And let me tell you, the first while was really hard. We hit it with hammers. Jackhammers. We bought every kind of tool and pry bar you can think of. It was so difficult. It seemed like we weren't even making a mark. But then after a while, when you got one piece down and then you got a second piece, what seemed like it was not going to go anywhere, when you started to get a little bit of crumble, then all of a sudden it all you could move great big sections of it. You know what? That's what prayer is like. For a long time, you pray and you pray and you pray and it seems like it's just making little dents. But let me tell you something. When you begin to get one thing to move all of a sudden big things begin to move you've got to understand our weapons are not physical but they are powerful and that power is available to ordinary men and women like you and I we read it in James at the beginning of this Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed earnestly he didn't just pray 
he prayed earnestly. You know, when we read of Elijah praying on that mountain, he prayed seven times, seven fervent intercessory prayers. He didn't just say, oh God, make it rain and then walk away. No, he prayed with everything inside of him. God, make it rain. God, make it rain. And then he told the servant, go out and see if anything has happened. He said, no, nothing's happening yet. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. He says, anything happened? He said, no, nothing's happening yet. And so he prayed and he prayed and he prayed again. And it Every time it seemed as if nothing was happening. And then all of a the sudden, there was just a little movement on the horizon. It is a typology of our prayer. It's not just that that's how it happened for Elijah. It is for us to understand that if we will keep praying, God will begin to move things. Even if it seems like nothing's happening. Daniel prayed for 20 and fasted for 21 days. And what he didn't realize when it seemed like nothing was happening, war began to happen in the heavenly places. And Gabriel and Michael engaged in a battle with the prince that is the demonic ruler of Persia. And Gabriel told Daniel, said, I've got to get back because when I left, the prince of Grisha came. Other high-powered demons came to fight against Michael. And Gabriel said he couldn't leave Michael to fight on his own. So I've got to give this message and leave. What caused war in heaven? Literal angel battles in heaven. One man, one ordinary man decided to pray. Just ordinary men that prayed. I'm a worker. It's my nature. I like to build, design, create. I like things to look good. And my philosophy is, if I do something, I should do it to the very best of my ability. That's how I was taught. That's how I was raised. But I came to a realization before we bought the East Building that's so simple, it's embarrassing. But it was a revelation for me. There's no amount of buildings that we can buy. There's no design that's good enough. There's no building that's beautiful enough. There's no organizational plan well thought out enough to ever bring the harvest that God wants for us. But prayer do it. I can read all the books in the world, but that won't make the spirit of God move. I can plan, train, prepare all I want, but that will not create an atmosphere where chains of addiction and the lies of the enemy are broken. But prayer will. Don't get me wrong. None of those things that I named are wrong. They are important, but they can't be the main thing. And something we need to understand, all of the great revivals started the same way. On Pentecost, they were in a prayer upper room praying for 10 days when the Holy Ghost fell. The great revival that shook Wales, and that's what really inspired Topeka, started with prayer. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost in Topeka, Kansas in 1901, started with a group of very young men and women praying. And Azusa Street itself started in a prayer meeting in someone's little house on Bonnie Bray Street. All of the great moves of God that have shook our world have all started the 
church, this is a good place. Is it perfect? No. It's full of people, and people aren't perfect. But this is a good place. It's a good church. It's a good place to call your home. We have an expectation of the miraculous here, and we see miracles on a regular basis, great miracles on a regular basis. You know, I don't know if you noticed how bad our bishop was looking before we prayed for him or how good he's looking now. And while we're waiting for the final results of a biopsy, all the other tests are looking good, and I believe God's just took care of the problem. I feel a level of faith when this church prays. We have expectation of the miraculous. That's a big deal for our church. We believe and operate in the gifts of the Spirit. That's a big deal for the church. We expect them to be at work in this church. We expect prophecy. We expect miracles. We expect healing. We expect it all. We are active in the gifts of the Spirit. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but no one struggles to receive the Holy Ghost in this church. Everyone who wants it gets it. In fact, it's so easy that it disturbs some people. No one struggles to get the Holy Ghost. If you want the Holy Ghost, you can have the Holy Ghost. And if you want to receive it, you can receive it at Lighthouse without any problems. These are wonderful things. But we are missing something. I'm not saying that you don't pray. But what we are missing is moving from those little prayers of routine. We all have them. I have them. I pray before I get out of bed in the morning. I pray the same specific prayers every day. I ask the Lord to help me please him that day and to be close to him. I ask him to send his angels to stand guard over my family. I pray every night before I go to bed. I've got a list of things. I pray them every night before I go to sleep. I pray over my food before I eat it. And I, to be honest, I pray through the day. But those things are just the routine habit of a healthy Christian life. But what God is wanting to move us past is just our health and move and where we're doing okay spiritually ourselves and move us into a place where our prayers begin to change the atmosphere. Do you realize Elijah's, Elijah's prayer literally changed the atmosphere? Moisture began to rise. Cool air moved in so that that moisture could condense and form clouds. He literally changed the atmosphere around him. One person, one person who moves into that realm past the ordinary prayers into supplication and intercession can change the atmosphere in a church service. It only takes one. It only takes one. But when you multiply that, and you get two or three, when you multiply that again, 
and you get a group of people praying together, it can radiate and change the atmosphere in a city. Church, I did not come with a message of condemnation. I did not come with a rebuke because we're doing so many things right. But I've come with a challenge. We must have a revival of prayer. I know you and I know that you know how to flow in the spirit of God. I know that you know how to worship and praise when the spirit is high. And I know that you know how to plunge into the depths when God begins to move that plow deep. But what you need to learn is how to do it outside of here. You know, prayer meetings in Chesapeake, Brother Cunningham's, became so, the prayer before service, pre-service prayer, became so powerful that people from neighboring churches and not just apostolic churches were coming to get healed during their pre-service prayer. Pastors from local congregations that were not apostolic were coming just to be in the atmosphere of the Holy Ghost that was happening in their prayer room beforehand. What transpired? Somebody moved into the realm of a revival of prayer. Let me tell you, prayer can change the atmosphere. I said it once, I'll say it again. God did not call us to protest. As much as everything inside of me would like to burn a pile of masks in the middle of the highway. In fact, I was getting a sign ready to protest against DeWine in Columbus in a big rally. And I felt the Lord speak to me and said, I didn't call you to do that. He didn't call me to do it. He didn't call me to put snarky tweets or anything like that. I had to delete all my snarky retreats. And two of them were pretty funny. What did he call us to do? What did he call us to do? I thought about this. You know, you're supposed to have a mission statement as a church. I know I'm just teaching today. I wanted to preach a hoo-rah message, but that's not what the Lord would let me do. You're supposed to have a mission statement. That's like the thing for leadership. And I thought about it. The Lord gave us a mission statement. He said, go ye into all the world. We do it. Preach the gospel to every creature. So we're supposed to go into all the world. We're supposed to preach the gospel. In Matthew 28, 19, if you read it in any other translation, it says, and make disciples. That's what he said. We're supposed to preach the gospel. We're supposed to go into all the world. And we're to make disciples. How do you do those things? There's no plan. I've read all the books. I've tried all the techniques. There's nothing that will do it except 
prayer. If we will pray, we can create an atmosphere in this church where people walk in the door. Oh, yes, I know anybody can get the Holy Ghost here. You already heard me talking, but they can walk in the door and fall down on their knees in the foyer before they even get into the sanctuary. We can create an atmosphere where there's knocks on the door, people asking for prayer. When there's no hope, they know where to go. We can create an atmosphere where in the spirit, your house becomes a beacon in the darkness of this world. If we will get a revival of prayer, we can see everything begin to multiply and grow. But it's got to take somebody that says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. The apostles missed their opportunity. Stand with me. They missed it. They missed it so badly. Peter had his chance. He said, I'll never deny you. You want to know why you're struggling with sin? You've got to pray. He missed his chance and fell into temptation. The apostles missed their chance to be a part of one of the greatest moments in all of history. But God in his great mercy did not change his plan for any of them. And I've come here to tell you today, forget those things which are behind. Yes, you might have wasted time before, but God has not given up on you. If you will pick up a mantle of prayer, pick up the burden of prayer, and begin to seek the Lord. I don't care how many years you've wasted. God will begin to use you. God will begin to use you. Ordinary people who prayed extraordinary prayers have shaken our world multiple times. Think about Topeka, young people. Topeka, Kansas, in New Year's Eve, 1901. There's always been a group of God's people. There's always been people that have spoken tongues and baptized in Jesus' name, but they were always very small, and you had to look for them in history. But in Topeka, everything changed. Those young people were all around the age of 18. And they begin to pray. Everybody gives Parham credit for it because he was the guy in charge, but it was the young people's idea. In that prayer meeting with a group of young men and young women changed the entire face of planet earth. A family decided that they were going to welcome the man of God named William Seymour into their house. And they began to pray in that house. And from that little family prayer meeting, Azusa Street was born. Do you know... God moved so mightily in Bonnie Bray Street. We always talk about Azusa Street, but in Bonnie Bray, he moved so mightily that they had to send the police to cordon off the road. So many people packed around that house for a prayer meeting. There wasn't preaching or singing, just for a prayer meeting that the porch collapsed one day. It said there was a line in the street that if the cops crossed it, they fell over speaking in tongues. The atmosphere had changed. I did not come with a rebuke. I claim knowing who I'm talking to. 
And I want you to know elders to the very youngest child and everyone in between. God wants to use you. God wants to use you. We need a revival of prayer. You can change your family. You can change your neighborhood. You can affect this entire church. We just need a revival of heaven shaking, hell trembling prayers. Lift your voice with me right now. Jesus, we worship you. church on a corner is a powerhouse but like Paul told Timothy I've come to fan the flames stir it up stir it up and let's see what God will do I don't think we need any singing right now we know how to shout and I love to shout but I think right now is we need to move into that place. Move into that place of prayers that change things. Come on, this altar's open. You can stay where you are. You can come to the front, but this altar's open. We need to pray, church.